it's not going to appeal to everyone. We're not out here to appeal to the mass audience. We know that there are certain people that will not come here just because we do not have a high-speed lift, and we're not going to put one in, ever. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Storm Skiing Podcast explores the business, history, and culture of Northeast skiing. Subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com to get all Storm Skiing podcasts and content as soon as it's live. You can download the Storm Skiing podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Pocket Casts. Follow us on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal and on Facebook. Episode 4, Jeff Hathaway, President of Magic Mountain, Vermont. In episode three, New England Lost Ski Area's project founder, Jeremy Davis, came on the show, and he made it very clear. Once a ski area goes out of business, it is very, very difficult to bring it back online. doesn't happen very often, but once in a while, you get one of those great stories, and Magic Mountain is one of those great stories. In fact, it might be the best story in skiing right now. Magic was dormant for six winters in the 1990s. Six Six years of sitting there with its lifts rusting and no one around to maintain the place. But it is back and it is thriving. It's thriving because of its terrain. It's thriving because of its vibe. And it's thriving because it finally has someone driving it who knows how to get things done. Since Jeff Hathaway took over Magic four years ago, the mountain has been in a renaissance. Two huge projects this summer. Number one, Magic is enlarging its snowmaking pond. It's going to push them over 50% of coverage this season. Number two, everyone rejoice. They are finally replacing the clunky black chair. You've probably ridden that chair. It's Stratton's old snowball quad. Extremely good lift, extremely good shape. It's going to serve that mountain very well. We talked to Jeff about both of those things today and a whole lot more. Let's do it. My guest today is the founder and president of Ski Magic LLC, which owns and operates Magic Mountain, Vermont. He is heading into his fourth ski season as head of Magic, during which time the mountain has continued to boost its snowmaking and lift infrastructure, solidifying its reputation as one of the top independent mountains in the Northeast. Jeff Hathaway is my guest. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, great to be with you, uh, Stuart, and uh, we're looking forward to another great winter ahead. You know, there, there's you're in a pretty crowded neighborhood there, and there's other mountains that are bigger and busier, but people don't speak reverently about them like they do about magic. And there's really very few places that people do feel that way about. There's like Mad River Glen, uh, maybe Platykill over in New York. Um, what makes magic so special? Well, I think it's, you know, I, part of it's the, the heritage uh, of a place that uh, kind of was founded by Hans Thorner back in 1960. 19- 60, kind of the birth of, you know, when skiing became really popular here in the eastern United States. Obviously, there have been mountains before then and things of that sort, but really the whole European ski culture kind of took off in the 1960s. And I think a place like uh, Magic, uh, Mad River, uh, even Platy, to some extent, kind of represent that, you know, historical context of how skiing grew up uh, and how it's kind of being, that has really changed for most of the industry. And really there are these few independent places out there with kind of the right mix of great terrain, a great community vibe, uh, and just kind of a laid-back, affordable atmosphere that makes it very welcoming. And I think, uh, you know, skiing was such a kind of fun sport to begin with, still is, and these independent places like Magic uh, have a real community feel that I think transcends kind of not only uh, the sport, uh, but where it's gone today. And we're kind of a throwback uh, to really its its beginnings here in the in the U.S. You know, you mentioned the community, and, and you have a pretty dedicated group of volunteers that come out and help you do things like thin out the glades. Um, is, is, I know you're an independent mountain, so certainly that labor helps, but how much does that contribute to, to building that sense of community when, when you invite people up onto the mountain to thin out the trails they'll be skiing in the winter? Yeah, I mean, again, to us it's about connections that are, that are made. This, uh, this sport of skiing is great in terms of naturally kind of getting people together in the winter uh, and having a, a kind of a communal experience potentially 
uh, and places like uh, you know Magic here uh, are really good at that because you you really feel connected to the mountain itself, to the trails and the glades and things of that sort because you're not kind of being overrun by traffic. You're not always concerned about who's behind me and I, I got to look out for myself. Here you really get a sense because it's not as crowded uh, and the way we manage our lift infrastructure and things of that sort, it keeps people spread out, and that makes a connection. And I think the volunteer days uh, are a similar type of thing, obviously, in the off-season, where people are actually helping create this place, make it better every time by clearing out glades, maybe adding some new ones, uh, you know, even, you know, painting, you know, the deck or other things to get the lodge ready, uh, that people are actually taking part and kind of the continual connection of of the sport of skiing and this mountain and themselves. So I think, uh, one, we're really appreciative because, you know, we need all the help we can get as an independent place for sure. Uh, we don't have, you know, these huge financial backers and things of that sort, uh, and we need people to want to be involved, and they do here at Magic. So I think it's one of the, the reasons why, you know, myself along with other investors, you know, um, put money into this place and continue to put money into the place because we see that connection and we see that it's different than at other places. So uh, the more you can create those bonds between kind of the natural resource that is here uh, at Magic and the the people who play here and also the people who help, you know, give some time, uh, I think that just deepens, you know, the love for the sport uh, love for the outdoors, uh, winter in general. Uh, and uh, so we're all for it, for sure. You know, Jeff, you mentioned the lack of crowding, and, and you actually self-impose uh, a daily ticket limit. Take me into the thinking, why did you put that in place? Was it to maintain that atmosphere or, or, or in, in, the, in the lack of crowds? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's it's something we absolutely believe in in terms of the experience here. Uh, there's definitely been days, uh, you know, when we didn't have – you know, we're going to have more lifts on this uh, place than there were when we started. Uh, and that helps uh, with, you know, not being crowded. But there were days here when we first started out uh, on a big holiday weekend and we didn't have, let's say, one of our lifts running because it was in disrepair. And this is one of the lifts we've now uh, replaced as of this year, where it was like, ah, you know, it's a. Uh, it's a 45-minute lift line. It's a half-hour lift line, which is not unusual anywhere else. But it kind of took away a little bit from, you know, what we love about this this place. So for us to sacrifice a few more tickets sold uh, for a better experience that people have, it's well worth it to us. And it just is in keeping with, you know, what we want to have here. We want to have people not feel overcrowded although we may get so at the bar every now and then, having to wait for a drink. But other than that, right. on the slopes, we want people to kind of have that sense of freedom uh, and be able to relax and really just enjoy uh, the experience. So putting a self-imposed ticket limit is part of that, adding why we're putting this new quad lift uh, in this summer, which is a fixed grip, not a high-speed fixed mm-hmm. grip quad, so we can get more people up the hill uh, but not overcrowded because it's not a high speed. So it's it's a very regulated way to get more people on the hill, and it really it's going to make for almost no lift lines uh, this year at all, even on our peak days combined with our ticket limit. So that is the type of ski experience we want, and we're willing to sacrifice a few extra tickets to maintain that. Yeah, I think most people, most Magic fans, anyway, would would argue that that short term. Uh, trade-off for the long-term gain of the atmosphere is is well worth it. Um, you know, you you've described magic, uh, and I thought this was a really interesting way to describe it as uh, a northern Vermont mountain in southern Vermont. C- can you talk a little bit more about what you meant by that exactly? Yeah, because it's a, it's just a, a, a it's a steeper, I would say, a more challenging environment uh, for sure than our, our neighbors around here. So for us, it's we're a great complement to all the the other resorts in the area. Uh, Magic is really additive because we do deliver an experience that is more challenging, steeper, uh, more glades, uh, and that type of uh, experience is more often found uh, up at places like Smugs, Mad River, 
uh, Jay Peak, things of that sort. So uh, we do feel like we're a little little bit of northern Vermont uh, stuck down here in southern Vermont, and so uh, uh, we're not stuck. We just feel like we're really additive to the variety of within you know 10 miles uh, of each other here. So you just walk out the door, <laughs> and you can see a view of both Bromley and Stratton, all within 10 miles. The old Golden Triangle uh, from back in the 1960s uh, when the sport was growing, these three mountains, Magic, Bromley, and uh, Stratton, were called the Golden Triangle because they were, they were all within easy driving distance, and you had a great variety uh, of terrain. And that's what we kind of bring is that kind of more expert uh, style of skiing, uh, more challenging, uh, more natural. Uh, Mad River doesn't make a lot of snow. We're, we're making more snow, but we love our natural snow trails. They just ski better. Uh, so we want to keep that mix of both, uh, and we'll talk more, I think, about all the snowmaking improvements we've made, but we want to keep that mix of, uh, of you know, good snowmaking, good grooming, but also some real natural snow trails that just ski great. So that's what we like. Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the new black chair and and also the snowmaking, and, and you've spent the summer expanding your snowmaking pond. You know, how do you think those two additions, those two big projects, are going to change the experience of skiers being on the mountain this winter? Well, I mean, you know, when we came here, um, you know, there was a sense that uh while magic was a you know an incredible you know mountain from a terrain standpoint and uh all the challenge and things of that sort it just wasn't as reliable uh a product as people need to know so do you know from you know would it be open when is it going to be open what type of terrain is going to be open all you know there was a, there were question marks and basically we had to invest some capital to answer those questions First, uh, first off, I think the lifts. Uh, again, there was, a, you know, we had basically one lift to the top that worked consistently when we got here. We put money into the second lift, which is the old uh, black chair, uh, and it, you know, it was okay at times. But again, we could never get it to the point where it was consistently reliable for us. So when Stratton uh, was uh, putting in a new high-speed quad in the, their snowball area. We asked them if we could purchase their snowball quad lift, uh, which uh, is a classic fixed grip Poma lift from the, the late 80s. Uh, hadn't been used, uh, overused at Stratton uh, because more and more people were gravitating toward the high speed lift. So it was a good lift in really great shape, uh, and we were able to work a deal with Stratton to uh, sell that lift to us. That lift all of a sudden gives us a another top to uh, bottom to top lift. Uh, you know, 5,000 feet uh, that uh, really provides us with a consistently reliable way to get up that hill in addition to our classic red lift. And we just hadn't, hap- you know, hadn't had that here for probably 20 years. So, so it was long overdue. Uh, but it's, you know, it's uh, for a small area like that, it's a very expensive project. Uh, we're in the midst of it. Uh, right now, and it should be ready for the obviously the new ski season. Uh, but uh, that allows us to get more people up on the hill because we are becoming more popular uh, than what Magic was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So we have to be able to provide that capacity up the hill. But again, we don't do it in a way that the industry does it now by adding a high-speed quad. One is too expensive for a place like mm-hmm. ours. But two, more, more importantly, it throws a lot of people on the hill very quickly. And therefore, the the crowds coming down on the slopes uh, can be overwhelming at times. So a, a nicely spaced fixed grip quad just regulates that flow and makes sure we don't get that overcrowded experience on the slopes. Do you think you'll still be running the red line? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. The red chair is a classic. I mean, that thing okay. is so good. It's a really solid lift another heron poma lift that just you know will not quit and it's uh it's one of the loveliest i think chairlift rides in north america in general but certainly on the east coast so the the red lift will continue uh especially in our busiest holiday weekends uh, both those summit 
chairs will be chugging along. And then uh, we'll probably have the red lift, you know, on the on the weekdays as well when it's a little less crowded. We'll probably just use the red lift. We won't need the quad. Uh, so it'll it'll still get in the mix, but we want that chair to be here a, a long time to come. So it has been the workhorse literally for this place probably for the last couple of decades. And, uh, you know, it needs a break every now and then. So <laughs> I think the quad quad fills that primary role on the weekends, and you'll see the, the red chair certainly on the weekdays and those busy holiday periods as well. So the quad is kind of the, our last big, um, you know, chairlift project. We've already added the first, you know, couple of years we added the uh, magic carpet lift to improve uh, the beginner experience, the learn-to-ski experience. And we also added uh, a mid-mountain chair, so base to mid-mountain, the green lift. A critical component of what we've been trying to do because, uh, one, we want to make this mountain you know, more reliable from a lift infrastructure standpoint, but also we want to make it more accessible. And as I talked about, this is kind of a, a northern Vermont type of ski experience down here in southern Vermont, and it used to be only top to bottom. Now we have a midway which... Uh, provides a great transition for you know beginners, families, intermediates who don't necessarily want to you know go f- full on up to the most challenging stuff. is is absolutely wonderful intermediate and uh, novice terrain on the on the east side, and the the green chair access is all that. So we've made the mountain more reliable, and we've made it more accessible to more types of people. So it's not you don't have to be just a hardcore. Um, you know, expert skier here at Magic anymore. We're really, you know, kids are coming back to this place. Families are coming back to this place. It's a great, you learn to ski here, you can ski anywhere. <laughs> but now we've got the means for people to take those, the steps they need to take, you know, gradually uh, to be able to tackle this place. So you know, when you talk about families and, and beginners, certainly a, a very important part of their experience is that snowmaking. Um, so is your is your goal earlier openings, later closings, just better coverage, all of the above? Uh, what what are you trying to get to? Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's definitely all of the above. But you know, so going back to that accessibility and reliability part, um, when would Magic open? How many trails would be open? Things of that sort. Those were questions that we used to used to hear constantly. And so, in our strategic plan. When we purchased the mountain, it was definitely to attack the snowmaking infrastructure. Whereas Magic would, and some people still think that Magic doesn't make any snow, but in reality, Magic had been making snow and probably made it uh, on about 25% of its terrain uh, in the late 90s to into the 2000s. Uh, originally, it Magic was one of the leaders in snowmaking back in the 60s and 70s, and actually you know, has snowmaking pipe up to 70% of the trails uh, on Magic. So our goal is basically to, uh, one, broaden the amount of um, trails that get snowmaking coverage. So we can get snowmaking coverage on both the east side, uh, some of the easier stuff, and also on some of our west side terrain, so it lasts all the way into into April. Uh, So our goal is to get it from what was 20%, Last year was about uh, 45%, and we're trying to get to over 50% of our terrain uh, with snowmaking on it. Again, we want that mix of kind of great natural snow trails that hold the snow really well because they don't face the sun and they're they don't get you know really tracked up that quickly. Uh, and we want that mix with you know a really solid snowmaking for all beginner and intermediate and experts. And with the money we put in both, uh, we're putting it into the pond to expand the amount of water you know we can put up on the hill. But we also did it in terms of the infrastructure itself. So we've been replacing pipes. There were, I mean, it was like a jigsaw puzzle, some of these pipes, as we, we dug them up uh, in the base area. A lot of neck downs and 90-degree uh, angles, which does nothing for efficiency. Uh, going from 8-inch pipes to 6-inch pipes to 4-inch pipes, it was crazy. So we've kind of cleaned up some of that uh, pipe infrastructure. Uh, and all all the ski areas in the east have to deal with, you know, pipes that burst every now and then. So, you know, as as we, you know, make more snow, we're going to find more pipes that need fixing. But uh, uh, 
combine that with new pumps in our uh, pump house, uh, and we've added a bunch of HKD energy-efficient snowmaking guns to make everything we do a little more efficient, uh, better for the environment. Uh, we've gone away from diesel compressors to blow air for our snowmaking system to clean running electric compressors. Very expensive to do that. But, you know, if you look at this thing on a long-term basis, those those decisions you make pay off over the long term. And that's how we're operating this mountain as a long-term, you know, uh, successful operating uh, structure. So making those changes in terms of making it more efficient so we can get more uh, snowmaking out there for less money. And uh, in general, we've been able to do that. Uh, and that's our, you know, that's kind of an ongoing goal that we have. Add more trails. So we're bringing, this year we'll be bringing uh, Sorcerer uh, online and also Lower Magic Carpet. Uh, one's an expert trail, another one's a beginner trail. So we're going to add kind of two new trails that uh, receive snowmaking uh, this year in addition to the others. So, you know, every year, you know, it gets better, and that's our goal. So the improvements in snowmaking accomplish our our objective of opening earlier. Magic probably, mm-hmm. in general, average opening date used to be Christmas time. Wow. Last year we opened Thanksgiving. Now, depending on what Mother Nature delivers, we'll see how much terrain is open. But our goal every year is to try and open uh, you know, Thanksgiving weekend and run this place all the way through the first week of, of April. Uh, and doing a better job of snowmaking does that. It also allows people to know that it doesn't have to be perfect weather to come to Magic. Oh, you just want to go to Magic on a powder day. We hear that one a lot. I hear that a lot too, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, <laughs> we've got actually now some of the best. We've got a great grooming staff. We've got some of the best snowmaking trails. And the thing about our snowmaking, when we put it down and the groomer goes down over it, with the, again, the traffic that we have at this place, it's not gone by 1030. You can ski here until 3 o'clock and still find some fresh cord out there. So for those that really, you know, love skiing, you know, uh, good corduroy, uh, it's not gone by, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock as a lot of these other places are. So what we think, you know, we're trying to get that right mix uh, of, of snowmaking, natural snow, and everything we're doing on on that front, I think, adds to the variety of the ski experience that you can have here. Yeah, well, there's no question that the the on mountain the efforts and the on mountain improvements have have showed up and and people are responding to that. Uh, it, it's interesting though. One of the first projects that you undertook was improving the Black Line Tavern, kind of repositioning that. Why was it so important to take a look at that project right out the gate? Yeah, yeah. Oh boy, I got a I got a lot of head shakes from people. You, you're doing what? <laughs> there's so many things to do, and it's not like we weren't doing other things. But this right. is really the first thing we could you know, speak to it being finished was the uh, uh, kind of relocating, uh, redoing the the bar, uh, the Black Line Tavern at the top of our lodge. The reason we did it goes back to one of the things that, again, makes this place different is the community that's here. And not only do people gather, you know, and commune together out on the slopes, but they do it at the end of the day here at Magic and tend, tend to go well into the night as well. And so why not take a look at that gathering spot and see how you can improve that gathering spot to make it prettier, uh, more inviting, uh, and a a better place to hang. And so we moved, you know, and it's not rocket science. The bar was in a strange place, we thought, uh, that didn't take advantage of the beautiful view of the mountain that we get at another part of the lodge. So we basically moved it, you know, about 100 feet uh, and really created a, a just a beautiful space for people to gather, to, you know, have a beer, have great dinner, be able to relax, enjoy each other's company with a great space for music. It's one of the better venues now in southern Vermont because we've got a nice stage and it's all connected now with the bar itself. So things flow together. Uh, much better, and it's just a it's just a neat place. And you know, why not start with something that is all about the community that that's been here? They should get rewarded uh, that this place is under you know new operators and owners. And why not start where people gather and talk and uh, spread the good word? So that's where we started. 
You know, moving things around is, is such a smart solution. And you get the sense that at a bigger mountain, they might have just leveled the building and, and built a new one. And it's it's so interesting how, when I read about how magic, how the whole renaissance, how you just take these creative solutions. You mentioned the, you know, getting the used quad. That's another one. There was a really good anecdote uh, in that Ski Magazine story that ran last fall. And it starts with you having a conversation with an electrician uh, trying to figure out how to fix a broken water heater, which is not the thing, the kind of thing you see the, the head of a lot of mountains doing. So how hands-on do you have to be day-to-day, Jeff, to make this mountain keep running? I mean, you, I know you just mentioned the, uh, the snowmaking pipes that you're having to dig out. Like, how involved do you have to be in every part of this thing? Well, uh, yeah, uh, it's all-encompassing because there's, you know, with any mountain that's been around since the 1960s, even if they're owned by some giant, you know, corporation, there's just so much infrastructure that over time you just kind of got to keep up with and got to know what's going on. And so it's, uh, you know, m- most of the, uh, you know, the other CEOs, presidents of, of, of these mountains, they're intimately involved in a lot of different things. I think Magic is a little bit different um, because, you know, it, it's a small business. That's really what it is. It's an entrepreneurial small business. That's how I approach it. Uh, and you really have to know what's going on with everything. I mean, there's just no way about it. The one thing, you know, I did, which is always smart, is hire good people, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we've got a great mix of, of people who have, you know, been here before, kind of understand, you know, what magic has always been. Uh, and know the place inside out, know where some of the, the hidden you know issues are and all that kind of stuff. And we mixed in people who also, you know, uh, were lovers of magic, but maybe not worked here, but understood the vibe and what it's all about and brought certain expertises in other areas, whether it's communications or operations or, you know, tickets, things, software, things of that sort. So, uh you know, I can't I can't do it alone, but it is that type of environment uh, where you've got to pretty much be involved with everything because everything touches the con- the customer in the end, and I'm ultimately responsible for every interaction that the the customer has. So I got to know everything that's going on, and because it's a small organization, you can't help but you know be involved with everything, and that's what makes it ultimately really satisfying. But obviously, very challenging. Very challenging. So uh, uh, it's 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 definitely an enjoyable part. I'm learning something new every day. You know, oh, we, we didn't know this particular pipe was over here, and what does it do? No one knows because there's no actual <laughs> plans uh, uh, for a lot of these things. So you're just discovering. Uh, you dig a hole for you know uh, a tower for the new quad or the, the base terminal for the new quad. You're finding stuff that's like. No one ever knew it was down there, so from you know 1964 or five. Uh, so it, it's always you're always learning something new. You always then take that information and you know just one step in front of the other, try and make it better. But there's a lot. Definitely, there was a lot of catching up to do after you know many, 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 many years of deferred maintenance and things of that sort. Uh, the ski business is not an easy one, um, but you know. Again, I think this is such a tight, tight community that uh, you know everyone's willing to deal with some of the the minor issues that are naturally going to occur here. You know, it's just the way it is. We don't pretend to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect, but we're damn well going to do the best job we can. And I think people, you know, take that type of uh, you know look at it and uh give us a break every now and then when things don't go perfectly but that's what we tr- we try every day to do it do as best we can well you definitely have to be creative especially cuz you, you don't have that parent company to just dump you know 20 million dollars in if you if you need a big uh you know something fixed up so you know how challenging is it to continually improve the mountain while sticking within the constraints of your very real budget yeah well that i mean that's that's the the people that you hire here who have a similar mindset, uh, one being very creative, very entrepreneurial, uh, a real get-it-done attitude. It's like uh, there's there's definitely a a saying here where, you know, there's never a dull moment (laughs) at Magic. And you just got to, you know you're going to get some hits every now and then from things you hadn't planned on. You can have your beautiful five-year strategic plan, uh, but there's other things that are going to pop up into it that are going to cost a fair amount of money. 
And, you know, we're trying to, uh, again, be as creative as possible solving the problems. So, yeah, we could have spent $9 million on maybe a, a new upper part of our lodge, you know, create that environment that we wanted to, to create. Well, you know, we spent probably about $90,000, you know, really improving the the upper lodge area. Uh, and, you know, it's amazing what you can do if you get the right people involved and take a little different look at, at the place and uh, find the right sourcing for things. Not everything has to cost millions of dollars. Unfortunately, lifts do cost millions of dollars. <laughs> but uh, even then, as you said, you know, we were able to, you know, purchase a, a perfectly good used lift for a reasonable amount of money. Obviously, very expensive to install it. But if you, if we're going to be around for another couple of decades, it needed to happen. So those you those bigger investments, you definitely plan for, and it's part of the deal. Uh, but still, there are ways to, you know. Uh, be as creative with the money uh, as you can be because we are in it's it's actually a real business and we do have investors and we do need to pay them back myself included eventually you know it's not a short-term investment it's a long-term investment so if you do the right things create the right sized opportunities so that you don't overspend on things that are really superfluous to what we're about if you stay centered uh in terms of what magic is, what do we want it to be, uh, what do our customers want it to be, and stay true to that, then you right-size your finances and the projects you want to do to the opportunity here. And that's what we try and do every day. You know, in addition to doing all those things to grow the winter business, it seems like you've been supplementing uh, with, a, with a good summer business, first of all, and also with the mountain rentals. Monday through Wednesday. How much of those initiatives help improving the overall financial picture over there? And so again, being creative in, in terms of how you how you run the place and how you sell it. So you know, magic historically had been when it was growing. It used to be a seven day a week mountain like every everyone else. But in the in the 90s and 2000s, it really became a either a Monday through Friday or Thursday through Sunday type of mountain which makes a lot of sense for a small place because, you know, you're just not going to get a, uh, enough traffic in general, um, you know, during the week uh, to be sustainable. And so it's very costly. And how do you how do you manage that as, as a business? So we've basically, what we've done, though, is we've basically kept that concept of a primarily open Thursdays through Sundays plus holiday weeks um, and and powder days. So we add powder days, uh, any Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where we get six inches or more snow and have more than 50% of the mountain open, we'll open up for powder days, which are always fun. In addition, we added, uh, and that's been around for a while for Magic, we added mountain rentals. We've got these days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in general, that are not being utilized. saves us a lot of money um, by not being open on those days and being a Thursday through Sunday type of place. Uh, but how else can we use that time? Well, if we know we can get uh, a major event here, corporation, charity event, uh, sales meeting, uh, you know, just a, you know someone who wants to, you know, purchase a mountain for a day and they can just have a big party uh, with all their <laughs> friends. You know, that's a great way for us to add additional revenue with, you know, secured income we know what we're going to get. We know three people aren't going to show up. <laughs> we're going to have X amount of people, X dollars, and we know what it takes to open the mountain and run it and uh, create some type of profit on it. So the the mountain rentals have grown. You know, the first year we did, I think we did one, then we did two. Now we're, now we're doing five, six, seven. And that adds significant revenue for a small place uh, like us. So so we're taking that that, that same type of feel into the summer obviously we want to this place rented out for for weddings uh and things of that sort it's a just a beautiful spot and one of the things when we added the green chair mid-mountain it was not we purposely made sure it was going to be approved to be a downloadable chair so we engineered it uh and got approval for that chair to be also downloaded 
uh, for a summertime business. So we can get people up and get people down off of our Sunshine Corner, which is a, just a beautiful spot overlooking the valley toward Bromley and things of that sort, and a great place for events. So we're going to hold a uh, bluegrass festival there, uh, a bunch of weekends, and we're going to have weddings there. We've already held one there this summer. Uh, we're going to hold a, hold a bunch more uh, as we move forward. Part of the problem is, you know, we've been putting in lifts, uh, and people don't necessarily want to have weddings when there's construction going on. So, you know, we will be done with all of our major construction by the end uh, of this ski season, and therefore we're going to have a, a real opportunity to go out and sell uh, this place as a great wedding venue, event venue for, for people, uh, and that can help the, the summer business. We did We did add a disc golf course. Which, you know, for us was just a way for to allow people to get out, enjoy the mountain for almost no money. We don't make a lot of money on disc golf, but it's such a it's a great time for people to enjoy the mountain. Maybe they come in buy a burger and a beer after they're done. But again, this is we view it as a recreational resource. Let's find other ways to get people out there. The other thing we're going to do in the summer, starting um, next year, is that we will have our uh, what used to be a high trees adventure course uh, that was open here in the past. It's going to be reopened uh, under a uh, new operator. Uh, so, again, that's going to add additional kind of activity here uh, in the summer on an ongoing basis. Should help feed kind of the food and beverage business, which we do have open, again, Thursdays through Sundays uh, during the summer and fall. And you anticipate that for next summer, 2020? Yeah, so that'd be 2020. Yep. Yeah, you know, it, it's from the outside. The mountain seems to be booming. It, it, I mean, everyone loves the place. How is business? Is is there any are any numbers you can point to that that kind of show us how Magic's been growing over the past few years? Yeah, I mean, uh, so let's say season pass sales since so we started are up uh, over 100. percent So we've made great strides uh, on that front. Uh, our Annual skier visits are up uh, about 75%. Uh, so, you know, in that time period. So we're really seeing, I mean, we've, we've already hit, you know, our five-year goal. This is our third season this last year. We already hit our fifth-year goal in terms of skier visits. Wow. So, you know, we're definitely seeing the response. Uh, I think, you know, I think it's because, um, you know, for every yin, there's a yang, so to speak. And as as the business of skiing in general has become, you know, more driven by a, a couple of key players, there's been more takeovers and things of that sort. I think there's always a yearning for uh, what skiing kind of maybe used to be like. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and Magic is definitely, you know, a throwback place. And that's, you know, we take advantage of that uh, to full effect. I mean, there's no doubt about it that uh, that's been our goal is to have Magic serve as a really fun juxtaposition to kind of the what's going on uh, overarching in the ski industry. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, a testament that, you know, people do, you know, want something different at times. It's not going to appeal to everyone. We're not out here to appeal to, you know, the mass audience. We know that uh, there are certain people that will not come here just because we do not have a high-speed lift, and we're not mm. going to put one in ever. <laughs> so and that's just the way it is. We know we're going to lose, you know, some people because, you know, oh, you know, the lift ride is five minutes longer. Uh, you know, again, some people don't understand the other side of that, uh, where we get a um, much less crowded on-slope experience, but. That's just how how people have grown up with skiing these days is that uh, the more high-speed lifts, the better. Six-packs, bubble chairs, you name it. The more comfortable we can make it, the better. And that's not what we're about. We're actually about being outside in the winter <laughs> and skiing. And even if you're on a chairlift, uh, you might uh, have to cozy up against your, your neighbor and talk for a little bit and maybe, you know, have a great conversation with your son who's been, you know, uh, at school all week, and you really haven't had a chance to uh, been with friends, and you get that extra five minutes on our chairlift to 
you know, have a great conversation and story. So, and you meet new people that way. Uh, I always thought the red chair was kind of the love chair because we try to, you know, make sure everyone's hooked up when they're in line and uh, they get uh, a beautiful, you know, ride up the the hill, get to know someone else, maybe end up having a drink afterwards, and it's just a great cozy little chair. So. Those type of chairlifts are just, I think, uh, what this sport is, you know, about many times. And you know, it's not about whisking yourself up always uh, to the to the next um, ski run. Maybe it's about enjoying that ride up, recovering. Again, magic's a little tougher, top to bottom. You know, 1500 vertical is a little steep. You're a little tired. A nice 12 uh, minute chairlift ride. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, 100 percent increase in season pass sales that's pretty remarkable uh you know when you look at the variety of passes you offer you have couples you have all different uh age groups you have military no holidays only holidays only sunday uh transferable pass uh, you have local vermonters passes um i can't find any other mountain that has anything similar what was the rationale behind offering just pretty much a pass for everyone well i i think everyone needs a little bit of magic in their lives you know, it's and uh, so we know the reality is that the Epic and Icon passes is that more and more people are going to buy those passes. If they're even thinking about going out west, uh, why wouldn't you buy one of those things? Right. You can't afford the day ticket prices out there anyway, mm-hmm. so why not buy one? So they're already making one purchase, um, and so you know if they're if they're doing one purchase. Why not have some options where they can affordably, you know, get to a place like Magic uh, for, you know, for very little money? And that's why there are certain days that are less crowded, like Sundays. Why not? Mm-hmm. Why not offer a, a Sunday-only pass? Very inexpensive, and it's like it gets you, it, you know, you're still skiing on a weekend, uh, and gets you a little Magic. You might be, you know, a uh, season pass holder over, over at Stratton, but every now and then. It's 10 miles away. Why not come over to Magic on a Sunday? So that there's a Sunday-only pass. The the holiday-only pass, there's so many passes. Include, we have a blackout pass, you know, so it's a little less expensive, and people don't ski here on the, the holidays. Why not have a pass where, okay, you know, yeah, I really love to ski Mount Snow, uh, but I can only afford the blackout version. So, hey, why not, you know, for, you know, very little money, why not try a holiday pass over Magic where I'm not blacked out? So we just try to be creative, find ways, easy, more ways for people to say, yeah, let, let me get a little Magic in my life. Yeah, it's such a smart strategy. And it, it's, you know, what you were saying earlier about uh, you're not going to have high-speed quads. I mean, you don't want to be Stratton light because they're going to win that fight. It's a bigger mountain. It's laced with high-speed high six-packs. They have this big company, Altera, behind them to just dump as much money as they need into it. Um, so it seems like what you've done instead is you offer all these passes to all these different people. Um, this suits all these different needs. And then you also uh, are part of the Freedom Pass Coalition, which is was really interesting. With a full Magic Pass, you get three days at Bolton Valley, uh, Black Mountain, New Hampshire, um, several other mountains in New Hampshire, Platykilla, New York. Uh, how is that different than, say, Epic or, or Icon, your, your association with these mountains? Well, I mean, I, I think one, uh, as we're all independents in, in the in the Freedom Pass Alliance, you know, we're looking for ways that we can help support each other because we we know what's happened in the industry. There's just less skiers than there used to be, <laughs> and I don't right. think any one of them wants to be, you know, uh, going on that lost ski areas list. Uh, Magic, yep. you know, back in the '90s was almost lost um, because it was closed down. Uh, when it had become part of a multi-mountain, uh, you know, uh, operating company, it was it was shut down when uh, the real estate market went south. Uh, so you don't want to be one of those guys uh, because it's hard to, it's hard to come back from being closed. It's very very hard. I mean, I know um, uh, our good friends up in Maine. You know, just a absolutely wonderful hill with Saddleback. Mm-hmm. I think it's four. Four years, five years now yeah. that they've been closed, and it's just very hard to come back. And we hope that this new group that's interested in them actually comes through because it's just a fabulous mountain up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just don't want to be a part of that. So we we put together these different coalitions uh, 
of independent, you know, ski areas where we can help each other out. I mean, it's it's three free days off your regular, you know, unlimited pass. So there's no extra charge that that we have. So it's not like oh, you got to pay another hundred bucks to get access to all of these uh, other independent ski areas. It's just three days at each of these. And yeah, so we we tend to give quite a few comp tickets to folks coming up from Platy or or Bolton Valley and things of that sort. But they're also going to come by, you know, buy a burger, maybe have a beer. Uh, so it's you know, so it's additive to the experience, and they get to experience a variety of great places. And uh, you know, skiing should be about some variety as well. And uh, you know, I think when people come here, uh, we tend to you know, get those people back. So it's it's really nice way for us for people to get to try magic and and have a great time here. So so the Freedom Pass is is one of those. Uh, it's really just an alliance. Uh, it's not a separate pass that you get. It's just part of either buying a pass at Bolton Valley uh, or at Magic. But it's got to be one. You know, it's got to be one of the the unlimited passes that we have. So it's not just if you're a Sunday only guy. You don't get those benefits, but in, in general, if you're buying a full season pass, you get all those benefits. You know, it's a great add-on. Uh, you also recently joined the Indy Pass, which gives you two days at a bunch of different mountains, including Berkshire East and Catamount, two very underrated mountains in my opinion, uh, and then Bolton Valley and Suicide Six in Vermont, a couple of the, and a couple of others in the region. What was Indy Pass's pitch to you, and why did you think that would be a good fit for Magic? Yeah, so they're they're pitched to us, and you know we thought long and hard about it. Um, you know, again, we're from where we come, we we definitely want to try and support uh, other independent areas as we can. Uh, but it's also going to make hopefully some financial sense in, in the long run. This is really a test, so we'll see. You know how it goes, but what we what we like about it is that it's somewhat counterintuitive to what is currently going on, the the practice that is currently happening in the, the past market. So the past market right now, dominated by obviously Icon and uh, Epic, is basically to get the uh, very frequent skier with a, a fair amount of disposable income who is going to travel uh, to buy your pass uh, because they're going to get a really great deal on the pass, um, especially as you compare it to those companies under that umbrella, those series under the umbrella, with very high ticket prices. So all those companies are trying to drive um, their their day ticket buyers and things of that sort to uh, these passes um, by raising day ticket prices, and which makes it very – it's great for the, again, the high-frequency skier that's going to travel, a lot of income. Uh, because they want you to go, if you're out in the east or the Midwest, they want you going to vacation in Colorado, Utah, wherever, in their property, stay at their hotels, and spend a lot of money. So it's it's can kind of continuing the funnel that the ski industry has been in for a while of really, really narrowing uh, the this sport to the very, very affluent at the expense uh, of people who are in the middle market. Uh, and may not ski as much. So the Indy Pass is really designed to target those people who don't ski as much, uh, don't have the opportunity uh, to do it because maybe all these day ticket prices have, have skyrocketed. Uh, so we're trying to, by joining this pass, we're trying to make this sport more accessible to more people. Uh, and especially, I think, a part of the market that's being ignored, which are those less frequent skiers, Maybe just joining, maybe just trying. What's what's there for them? They either have to spend, you know, uh, a huge amount of money uh, on day tickets to try the sport, to get to know it better, to maybe fall in love with it, or they have to commit to a uh, uh, a very expensive pass for them. It may be inexpensive for people who have been paying a lot of money at uh, at, at other areas. You know, the Epic and Icon passes are cheaper for them now. But for people who are just starting out who don't ski as much, though that's still a, a fairly hard, high barrier. So for $199, $199, very low barrier to entry, you get two two free days at 
34 different independent ski areas. So again, very low barrier to entry. Uh, so hopefully makes this sport uh, more accessible, more affordable uh, to more people. And t- to us, you know, that's part of hopefully setting the stage long term. You know, for the ski industry to you know embrace uh, more beginners, more intermediates, people who you know don't have the the wherewithal. Uh, right off the bat to fly out to Colorado or Utah to go skiing. So I think this pass kind of answers that that market, and we'll see if it works. We don't know at this point. Obviously, it just got introduced, uh, but we'll see if it works. And uh, But, again, to us, it's just another option for people to find it an affordable alternative, uh, and we're really happy to be a part of it and happy to be testing it out, and we hope it works for sure. And unlike Freedom Pass, those are not comp tickets. You're actually getting revenue from that, right? Yes. So right. So if someone someone comes to Magic on one of their two free days that they would get here, we would then get, get compensated back from the from uh, Indy Pass for that visit. Yes. So we do get compensated for that. But you know, there's you know we're putting some money in uh, to the to the um, Indy Pass. You know, for marketing and things of that sort, and all that good stuff. So, it's nothing's a free ride. Let's put it that way. But, <laughs> right. So, certainly, we hope it 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 takes off and does well. Uh, but we're trying to we're trying to reach a different market uh, than in general where the industry is focused, and hopefully that that'll help grow the industry in general. I'll tell you, Jeff. When they added magic, that sold me on the pass. I ski in Vermont quite a bit, but I like variety. So I figured I hit Magic a couple times anyway, and this was a great way to do it. I know I'll use the Berkshire East tickets. I know I'll use the Catamount tickets. I'll likely use the Bolton Valley tickets. So for me, at least, it made sense. It was like sort of making sense. And as soon as I saw Magic added to the list, I committed to it. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think Magic's the the one everyone should be going like, okay, maybe I'll buy this pass now because it's got Magic on it. Yeah, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, it, you know, it for 199 bucks, you could basically even if you only went to two places, so you just mm-hmm. went to Berkshire East and Magic. Uh, that's four tickets for 200 bucks. That's 50 bucks a ticket. That's still a pretty damn good deal. You're already saving money uh, off the the window price. Um, so there's not a lot of downside to it. I don't I don't think by by buying one, but. There really isn't, especially if you know you're going to ski a lot. I mean, for $199, that's less than you're going to spend for a peak season day ticket walk-up at Vail. Um, Speaking of Vail, really curious about your reaction when Vail bought Peak, because now you have two epic resorts right in your neighborhood in Okemo and Snow. Uh, Did that change the equation for you, or did it not really matter because Mount Snow was already under a multi-pass with Peak Pass anyway? Yeah, no, I... uh you know, from from my standpoint, yeah, Mount Snow is already uh, under a multi. I I think it just yeah, you know, kind of hits. It was not surprising. Uh, I would say that you know Peak would get purchased. I'm sure they were hoping for it, um, but it just it just it continues to accelerate. You know what's been going on in the market with all this consolidation. So um, yeah, I mean, to some extent, you feel almost somewhat surrounded, um, mm-hmm. but it. You know, to each their own, and that's kind of currently where the industry is going. And, uh, you know, Mount Snow still is, you know, hopefully going to maintain the Mount Snow feel and vibe and things of that sort. And, and But they'll certainly have a lot of backing for what they need to do there. Um, that's the only thing you worry about uh, with some of the corporate consolidation is that well, the fun thing about the industry is that, you know, each ski area is different, has their own personality, has their own character. Uh, and uh, certainly there is a veil way of doing business. Uh, and you already see some pushback in certain areas. I, You know, I've seen it locally here uh, from the local communities. Uh, I've seen some pushback on some of that. That doesn't mean it's all negative. There's a lot of great positives about it. But there is some disconnects going on, uh, and that can happen, you know, in a more a corporate, here's it's our way or the highway type of uh, approach. Um, and so we're here to offer an alternative to that for sure. So, 
uh, you know, it's again, it's not surprising that uh, Peak got bought. Uh, that we're this consolidation trend is continuing, uh, and for us, it really just we just stand out more and more as a countercultural icon to, so to speak, uh, to what is going on uh, in the industry, and uh, you know, we love it in terms of um, just having some fun with it and being who we are. And we're not going to worry about all that stuff. Uh, we're just here to offer a real fun alternative uh, scheme like it used to be. There's a whole generation that doesn't even know that places like Magic even exist. Um, they've been brought up on you know high-speed lifts and all these different amenities and distractions. And this place is just really about skiing. Yeah, I think people really are craving that alternative. And the more corporate creep we see in the region... It really seems like magic is really responding in a way that people are reacting to, as evidenced by the business results you were pointing to earlier. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, really interesting that you share a mountain with another ski area in Timber Ridge. I know that it's privately owned now. Uh, you've said in the past that you have a good relationship with them and there's the potential there for some kind of partnership. Any chance the skiers would ever get access to that terrain? Uh, so, yeah, so we're on uh, Glebe Mountain and on the, on the backside at one point, uh, in the late 80s, uh, uh, there was a formal connection between uh, Magic and Timber Ridge on the backside of, of Glebe Mountain. Uh, Timber Ridge was really a, a, a ski area that started almost around the same time as, as Magic in the 60s. It had just like one little uh, you know, T-bar lift, uh, and it was maybe 600 feet vertical, uh, and then, you know, in the 70s, it, it added a, a lift to the top, or almost to the top, uh, so it became a little bigger, and then in the 80s, um, uh, there was Magic and Timber Ridge became one under the, when Magic was also owned by Bromley, by a group, so there was an interconnect that was made between the two, that interconnect remains. And so, yes, we have a good relationship with uh, the owner uh, of the backside of Timber Ridge. Uh, it's not an operating area anymore, uh, but he maintains some of the trails still there uh, and allows people to, uh, you know, hike it. So uh, there is actually um, people who go from Magic and back over and do some backcountry skiing over there. Uh, that is currently allowed. We're going to do more formal um, uh, tours and things of that sort, I think, in the future uh, on the backside with Timber Ridge. So it's just a lot of fun. Uh, it's a little easier terrain. It's just a lot of fun backcountry stuff that you can do off there. Obviously, we've got a bunch of glades uh, on our side, uh, and we've always been a big supporter of uphill skiing. Uh, and so that whole culture uh, has been alive and well at Magic, probably starting from the day when Magic closed in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, for a while, and that was the only way you could access uh, uh, the trails here. So that whole uh, culture, we're, we're one of the first, along with Bolton Valley, to have uh, AT, Alpine Terrain, uh, equipment You know, in our rental shop. We still have that, so we started that two years ago. That's been a, a big seller, so as people, you know, it's expensive to buy all that gear. Here's a great mm -hmm. way to try it, rent it out, see if you like going uphill, uh, we've always had a very uh, open policy on that respect, uh, even offering a free lift ride uh, on Red Chair when you get when you hike all the way to the top. So the Timber Ridge on the backside in that backcountry is just an outgrowth of what again we're all about. We're not going to charge people to hike up this place, uh, and in fact, we reward people for hiking up the place. Uh, so. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, again, for us, it's another means uh, for people to enjoy this great recreational resource. Uh, and, again, hopefully they stop by the tavern, have a beer, and celebrate with everyone else and have a, have a great time. So, yeah, I think you'll see more and more things being done uh, with uh, Timber Ridge on the backside over the next uh, few years. So skiers don't need any permission to ski down from the top of your lift to Timber Ridge and hike back up? They can just do that and the owner's okay with that? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, our boundary, you know, we have a close, you know, our boundary is is there. We're, we're not responsible once they cross that, that boundary, obviously. 
but uh yeah there is you know in- inherent uh permission to use the backside uh of timber ridge uh currently with that with the current ownership so mm-hmm. what we're going to try and do is formalize that a bit more so we can have uh, you know tours and things of that sort uh going back there and uh you know we can even do shuttle vans on you know back and forth between the the two base areas do you think that if the current owner wanted to sell, that you would look at that opportunity to expand? Oh, I mean, we, you know, I would never turn down an opportunity to look at it. Uh, yeah. It's definitely not high on our, our list right now. We've got so many <laughs> things we got to do to make, you know, our area the best it can. Uh, and But, you know, we'd, we'd always, you know, look at that. But, you know, again, it's, you know, to put, it's got no list, it's got no nothing, but uh, it does have some, some trails there so all right jeff really can't thank you enough for your time today thank you so much for coming on the show i look forward to hitting magic this winter with that indie pass yeah Stuart, absolutely uh good luck with the show and uh look forward to seeing you here and we'll we'll grab a beer at the bar i'll take you up on that thanks jeff that's jeff hathaway president of magic mountain they're doing everything right up there Go give those guys some money this winter. They've earned it. Follow us on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal and on Facebook. You'll also want to subscribe to the Storm Ski Newsletter at skiing.substack.com so you can get new episodes as soon as they're out. Next up on the Storm Skiing Podcast, Peter Landsman, founder of Lift Blog. Awesome information source. Check that out as homework, liftblog.com. We're going to talk about all the new lifts going in across the East and across the country. We'll look for that one next week. Thank you so much for your time. I'm Stuart Winchester. Look forward to doing it again soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.